Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Hey there, thanks for listening. The sermon from this last Sunday, November 18th, was preached by Pastor Jonathan, and the text that Pastor Jonathan focused on comes from Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. It's a text where Jesus foretells uh, the destruction of the temple, and he talks about all kinds of signs of destruction that are to come. And even though the words of Jesus are harsh, Pastor Jonathan uh, brought a very uplifting and hope-filled sermon. And so without further ado, here's last week's sermon from Pastor Jonathan. Grace, peace, and joy be unto you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, I was wondering if anyone was chuckling at the irony at this page in the bulletin. Let me know if some of you are those that read ahead and check out what's going on, because there's a bit of irony there when you read the lesson that we just read, and then you read the title of the hymn of the day, Build Us Up, Lord. It's hard to hear those words from today's gospel lesson as good news, as encouragement, as uplifting, inspirational thoughts from Jesus. No stone left upon another. Wars and rumors of wars. Debbie Downer has nothing on Jesus here. But we also look at the big picture of the arc of Mark's narrative here, and it's part of a much bigger story that's unfolding. Two chapters before this, in the midst of his teaching and the parables, Mark resets the trajectory. He specifically ties another of Jesus' declarations of impending doom specifically to Jerusalem. They will kill me, Jesus tells his disciples. And then they arrive in Jerusalem, and Jesus proceeds to show that their whole sacrificial system in the temple is a sham that takes advantage of people through a corrupt leadership structure. And then Jesus declares that the whole system is going to come crashing down along with the very structure that they have been taught contain the very dwelling of God and the Holy of Holies. It's not an uplifting thought. Or is it? Or is it at least as uplifting as anything can be in the face of such desolation? When we read the biblical text, it's important to consider the context of Jesus and his disciples in the narrative that's being told, but it's also important to understand the context in which it's being written. And I would argue that with the apocalyptic desolation narrative, it may be even more important to think about when this is being written. For this passage is a favorite, go-to passage for writers of current-day apocalyptic literature. They like to draw parallels through which they feel they can point to the coming end of days based upon signs that they see, but in reality, the better modern-day application of this passage probably comes through the warning of false prophets and through the hope that is deeply embedded in it. But I'll come back to that. For now, let's return to the setting in which these words were written and first heard by the gospel community. 
Current scholarship dates the Gospel of Mark right around the time of the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. So Mark could literally be sitting on a hillside watching this play out before him in Jerusalem. Our guide, when we were in the Garden of Gethsemane at the base of the Mount of Olives, pointed out that there were only a couple of trees there that would be dated back to the destruction of the temple. The other trees that were in the garden were cut down at that time by the Roman soldiers and used to burn the city. It was said that they burned the olive wood because it burned so hot and the gold that adorned the temple would run down through the stones when they got so hot and the soldiers would collect it. Here's a view of the temple from down in the garden, and this is looking up at the, the city from the Mount of Olives, looking down at the city from the Mount of Olives. So Mark and his first listeners are sitting there literally in the midst of the desolation, still smelling the smoke of the ruins, and these are the words of Jesus. No stone left upon another. The old is gone, but, but, these are but the beginning of the birth pangs. On the road to Jerusalem. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. The old is crumbling around us. It is pure desolation, he's telling them, but death does not contain our God. Our God is a God of life, a God of rebirth and renewal. This is the end. This is the beginning. Birth pangs are certainly an object of conversation in our household these days as we anticipate the arrival of our first grandchild. Margaret and Suzanne were at a childbirth class the other day, and Margaret was describing to a friend the next day what they had done in class. They had watched a birthing video, and she said she was getting a little emotional watching it, but then she looked over and saw her mom was crying and realized they were the only two people in the room getting emotional, so she decided she had to hold it together because they couldn't be the only two people crying there. I chuckled as I heard the story, but I came back to it as I was writing the sermon and thinking about this text. There's something very fitting about the woman who has personally experienced childbirth three times and now far removed from those birth pangs, being the one that is emotional watching it there in that class, those new moms were seeing this for the first time and are still on the other side of the birth. There's undoubtedly some fear and trepidation about the pain and the challenges to come. And as we all know, those initial pains are just the beginning of the pains and challenges that invariably come with raising your children. But Suzanne has seen nearly 20 years now of the beautiful processes of new life springing out of the challenges of parenting your children. It doesn't always go as you intend. You have setbacks and disappointments, but you continue to pour your life and your love into your children, and you see new life springing forward again 
and again. This is the message of Jesus told by Mark to that early Christian community. All you can see right now are the challenges that surround you. Remember that the early Christian community was still deeply embedded within the Jewish community. This wasn't happening to some other group. It was happening to them, to their own community. They were coming to understand their community in a different way, but now it was looking completely different. This will be true for the Jewish people as well that would have to once again redefine themselves in the wake of the destruction. And for that early Christian community, it pushed a fast-forward button on an already challenging time for them as they sought to understand the meaning of the resurrection for them. It tested their willingness to trust in the resurrection promises, to see it unfold before their very eyes. We see it in this passage from today from Hebrews. God's doing a new thing in Jesus. Do you perceive it? Do you believe it? This is one of the great gifts of that apostolic age that indeed they did believe it. They lived out the resurrection promise and hope through unbelievable challenges and disappointments to find themselves again and again even more resilient, dynamic, and with a greater capacity for love on the other side. St. Paul says it best in a passage that I quote so often, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. I came across a quote the other day. It was in a Hallmark movie, so I knew that it was too insightful to be original to the script, so I looked it up. In the movie, it was said that our wounds are where the light shines through, and it turns out that this is a paraphrase from the original 13th century line from an Islamic poet and scholar, Rumi, who said, The wound is the place where the light enters you. And looking up that quote, it led me to a page with other quotes around this similar theme, and it was a famous author on grief, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who said, The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people, she says, do not just happen. These words of Jesus for today are certainly challenging. They are dark and represent the despair of the day but they also point us towards a discerning and resilient hope that guided the church through those early dark moments and continue to guide the church today. We continue to need to be a discerning and resilient church. There are false prophets galore today, as there have always been. And in the midst of changing times and uncertainty, it is all too easy to succumb to their messages of fear and despair but in the midst of times of fear and uncertainty, the church cannot allow itself to be caught up in the fervor of those times. 
We have seen despair and death again and again. But we have seen resurrection again and again. Death and fear do not define us. Love, hope, and new life do. And so we pray. The forces of evil, the forces of death seek to overwhelm us, Lord. Help us to trust your resurrection power. Build us up, Lord, with love and hope and new life in you. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.